Welcome to Cardboard Conjecture. We're a podcast about board games where we have opinions and conclusions formed on the basis of incomplete information. This episode of Cardboard Conjecture is brought to you by these great Saskatoon businesses. Amazing Stories Comics on 8th Street, Dragon's Den Games on 8th Street, and Breakout Escape Rooms on Faithful Avenue. Hey there, how's it going? Hey, this is uh, What You've Been Playing Wednesday, and this is a special weekly episode that's a compilation of all the board games that all these incredible content creators have been playing lately. And on this episode are Dice and Dragons, definitely a board game podcast, Mozart Games, The Meeple Dungeon, Board and Game with Andrew B. The Omni Gamers Club. Board on the Air. And Cardboard Conjecture. And as always, please remember to check the show notes for the links to the What You've Been Playing Wednesday cast. And sit back and enjoy. I'm Jason. I'm Julie, and together we're Dice and Dragons. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube at Dice and Dragons, and on Twitter at Dice and Dragon. And what is it today, Julie? It's What You've Been Playing Wednesday, and we have been playing Marvel Champions The Mad Titans Shadow Expansion. Yes, this is the latest campaign expansion for the game. Uh, we didn't want to wait for it to come out in Canada with everything going on. We had an opportunity to get it a little earlier, so I pulled the trigger, and it's now here. In The Mad Titans Shadow, you will be facing off against Thanos and the Black Order as he tries to put together all of the Infinity Gems to take control control well i don't know if he wants to take control of the universe get rid of everything well 50 percent of the population anyway that was changed for the mcu and i can't remember exactly what his final goal was with the gauntlet in the comic book series in any case you also get some new heroes you have adam warlock and monica rambo also known as spectrum and you'll be facing off against the titan so i'm gonna ask julie what she thought of this expansion so far because we're not quite done yet we're almost done. Uh, I really enjoyed playing Spectrum. Um, I really didn't know if I would enjoy playing um, Adam Warlock. Uh, I didn't know either of them. I knew uh, Spectrum from what we saw her in uh, Scarlet Witch. Is that it? Yeah, we saw Monica Rambo, but she she got her powers and not exactly the same as what you see here in uh, in this game. In any case, I've enjoyed, bottom line, I've enjoyed playing both of them. Um, they play very differently, uh, and it's been it's been entertaining. Um, I, uh, there's, there's one of the villains I didn't really, was it, was it uh, the uh, purple uh, Grimace that I didn't enjoy playing against? Thanos, you should know his name. I You're do know name. his, no, I do know his name. I just like calling him Grimace. Well, that is a quote from Star-Lord, so, I mean... It shows that she knows her stuff. <laughs> uh, was it Thanos, though, that I didn't enjoy playing against? Or was it uh, uh, the other guy? Um, uh, I forgot his name. He was also in uh, Endgame. In any case... Well, we had... There's Proxima Midnight, Corvus Glaive, uh, Ebony Maw. I think you just like Ebony Maw oh, the yeah, most. yeah, that's the one. Yeah. 
because uh, just the way his spells come out, there's not a lot of control, not a lot of mechanisms that you have to cancel them. And if they keep coming on one character, well, that's the character that has to deal with them all, because uh, the draws random out of the encounter deck. Yeah, that was that was not a fun game. I did not enjoy that that game. Uh, but besides that, I mean, this is this is more great expansions with uh, you know some different uh, different ways to play. I have to say, this is so much better than Galaxy's Most Wanted. And I think that the, the probably the difficulty of the expansions are fairly close. Like this is not an easy expansion. We've definitely had to work very hard to make sure that we accomplished our, t our goals. On uh, the last game that we played, I uh, don't want to spoil who it was in uh, number four. I mean, if you look on the back of the campaign uh, log, it will tell you. But we made a few mistakes with regards to how we proceeded to uh, deal with the scheme as well as with defeating the, uh, the villain. And it got us into a little bit of trouble. It took us a while to get things back under control. I think we could have played that one a lot smarter. But... Uh, I would say the biggest difference is you've got some solid pre-made decks for Adam Warlock and Spectrum. I mean, the only card that I did not like in Spectrum's check, and we both agreed, was the Band Together card, which ends up kind of being a dead card unless you really pull the right uh, combination of uh, resources to get a lot of allies into play, so you can generate some good resources off of it. But neither of us have really had many allies in play with her. I don't feel her deck is strong enough to get a lot of those allies out relatively easily, unfortunately. No, I think uh, use of her powers uh, and cycling through her powers is really her strength. I think I can see that there's a way to, to make the leadership aspect work, but I think you'd really want to tweak the deck with some cards. That being said, it's, it's not a hindrance to the deck, whereas when we were playing as Rocket and Groot, uh, we did find that some of the cards in their deck, and even the way they were built, was actually hindering their overall strategy and what they wanted to do, whereas uh, that's not the case in this expansion, which has just really let us get rather far with, uh, with the pre-mates. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't really want to spoil much about uh, about the game. I think if you, um, I, I think I would leave it at, if you enjoy Marvel Champions, I really believe that this is definitely a fun expansion uh, for the villains, especially. Uh, but both of the uh, both of the heroes that come with the game are fun too. I mean, they've been uh, they've been a lot of fun to play, even though I don't know them. And one neat thing about the Infinity Gauntlet is that you can use it in any scenario, so you can beef up any of your pre-existing heroes. I think this is almost a must-buy expansion. Now, the one thing that I have to say is a detriment to this campaign expansion and just to the Marvel Champions cam campaign boxes in general is none of the campaigns work the same. The Rise of the Red Skull works its own way. Uh, the way the victory and everything, uh, sorry, the victory tableau works in Galaxy's Most Wanted is completely different. And that is the same case with regards to how things work in the Mad Titan Shadow. It'd be nice if they could finally sort of figure out a standard way for all the campaigns to work. Besides there just being some cards that you include uh, in the campaign and then you're going to use them at setup and then maybe uh, have some negative effects or consequences for not completing certain things. But I don't really have much more to add. Me neither. So our full review will be coming out for the Mad Titan Shadow the day after this releases. And on that note, we'd like to remind everybody to keep playing games.
I'm A.A. Ron Millich. And I'm Royce Calverly. And we are definitely a board game podcast. A podcast definitely about board games, except when it's not. And we're here on What You've Been Playing Wednesday. Royce. Yes. What have you been playing on Wednesday? I have been playing Kolechka. What is that? Gesundheit. Polish. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So let's talk about Kolechka. Kolechka is a game from uh, Carol Madage. Uh, It was released by Treffel and Hutch in 2011, but it was actually published as part of a a project by the Institute Pamiakci Narodowicz. I'm sorry to our Polish listeners. Yeah, you should be. Uh, If you're not Polish, that is the Institute of National Remembrance. So this is sort of like a museum, archive, research center, and they did this game called Kolechka. Hmm. All right. So what is it about? Well, it's it's set in the 80s during the tail end of communism in Poland. Mm-hmm. And at this time, there was a real shortage of goods. There were, You didn't know what you were going to get. The stores didn't know if they were going to get any shipments. They never knew what they were going to get either. And you just sort of lined up and got whatever came basically. And then if you didn't like what you got, you went and went to sort of a public market where everybody was trading back and forth, trying to get what they wanted. So Kolechka means queue or line basically. So you're sitting there. This game is a worker placement card game. You put your workers out in various lines and then you play cards to manipulate the lines, send people to the back, you know, sneak goods out the back door, whatever it might be. And once you've done that, You have all of your stuff. If you get the first person to get their complete shopping list wins. Wow. That's pretty. I know it sounds like it's not a real exciting theme. Uh, The moment in history is super important and it's really interesting that they've immortalized that moment in this game. And while it may not sound like an interesting theme, they have done an amazing job of, recreating that frustration, that moment of, you know, anger where you're sneaking ahead in the line and the other person is like, I've been waiting here all day. Why are you doing this? But the cards you play got you to get the thing, just snuck it out from in front of them. Oh, it's so great. It's such a great experience game. And it really is just one of those games where you kind of want to throttle all the other players at least once during the game, which is so much fun. Yeah, this definitely sounds like a Royce game. Worker placement, you got that tension going, you have a historical theme. I can understand, yeah. you know, you make it sound like it would be a good uh, challenge to play for sure. A good, yeah, uh, with a interesting theme. Yeah, <laughs> good for you. Thank you. I have not been playing a, a, a communist historical game. <laughs> but you have been playing something that is, you know, of equal level of class I agree. and importance and historical, you know, just just grandi- grandeur, yep. equal grandeur. Yeah, I would, agree, I would agree with that. Mine's called Pooh the Card Game. <laughs> and this, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> really illustrates the difference between Aaron and I. <laughs> It does, doesn't it? It's really, this kind of explains our 30 years of friendship. Um, this is an old one. This is Matthew Grau. Not a name I'm familiar with. Me neither. Catalyst, <laughs> Catalyst Game Labs 2009. However, I'm going to point out that this won the Origins 
Award for Card Game of the Year in 2010. Have you ever heard of the Origins Award? Oh, I've definitely heard of the Origins Awards. Uh, you should know that there has been considerable uh, controversy over the Origin <laughs> Awards in the past. Considering <laughs> they thought this was Card Game of the Year, uh, yeah, I could yeah. understand why. In recent years, the Origin Awards have been better, but they do have a reputation from previous years of not being a great award. <laughs> right. Well, you know, thanks to you, uh, you've helped me dive deep into the nooks and crannies of board games. And now I'm I not taking credit for this one. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. I was going to say you've done this now and I can walk into a game store and, and I know publishers and I know uh, designers and I know what to expect. Uh, this was from a time when it was about, oh, I'd like to buy a game. Let's just see. Oh my God, a game with monkeys and it's about flinging poo. I got to buy that. <laughs> So that's how I ended up with Poo the Card Game. And that's exactly what it is. Uh, it's a very fast-paced card game where you fling poo at each other uh, and uh, you have cards to clean yourself off. But if you get too much poo on you, you get knocked out. You do have a chance to come back in with the golden banana. But once you get knocked out again, that's it. But what I love about this game is the cleverness in the in the names they come with and some of the art is hilarious so we have pellet poo does one poo to one opponent chim chim poo does two poo to, two poo to one opponent then you have bonzo poo mighty joe young poo king kong poo but the big one <laughs> the animation on the big one or the illustration of the big one is just so funny uh it's really easy to play you can play with anybody obviously kids would love it we got a kick out of it and um Kind of like your game, there is that tension of who is going to fling poo at who, you know? I'm about to die. Is someone going to take me out or are they going to take pity on me? So there is a little bit of uh, tension, but slightly different in theme. So I do recommend this game because it's fun, it's easy. I'm not sure you can still get it. I mean, it's, it's been 12 years now, but uh, I still have my copy. And it, I, when I opened it up today to take a look at it, the rules are all like destroyed and the cards have that feel like they've been used many, many times. So we've definitely played this quite a bit. So if you get your hands on it, I give high marks to Poo the card game. I don't know what to say. <laughs> All right. <laughs> if it was llamas slinging poo, would you buy it? Probably. Yeah, see, there you go. That's all it is. Yeah. Anyway, so if you want to hear more from the two of us, you can always check out our podcast, Definitely Board Game Podcast, which you can find on... Apple Podcasts and Spotify Podcasts and iHeartRadio and all these different places. But if you ever want to talk to us, definitelybored at gmail.com, at BoardDefinitely on Twitter, at DefinitelyBoard on Facebook. And we also have a guild, Definitely Board Game Podcast, a Board Game Geek. And I think that's everything. Excellent. Royce, right. anything else you want to say? Not a thing. Say goodbye, Royce. Goodbye, Royce. Bye, everybody. Hey everybody, my name is Chris Morris from Mozart Games, and I am back with Cardboard Conjecture to talk about what you've been playing Wednesday. You can find me on Twitter as SpiderMo, that's Spider with a Y if you like what you hear, and want to give me a follow for some board game thoughts, as well as my ongoing challenges as a designer. This week, I want to discuss Brew, a brand new release from Pandasaurus Games, designed by Steve Torres. Brew is a worker placement area control game using dice for both mechanics. 
Players are forest guardians attempting to return balance to the seasons by brewing potions and recruiting various woodland creatures to assist you in taming the lands. It features some incredible artwork by Jake Morrison and Andrew Thompson. But don't let the charming art fool you. Brew is a cutthroat game. A game of brew is broken into four rounds, and in each round, a number of forest cards are dealt to the table based on the number of players. The forest cards will provide locations that players can play their dice to in order to gather ingredients and recruit animal companions. Each space on a card will show a specific symbol that players must match with their dice in order to collect the resource shown. Players each have four forage dice that they roll at the start of each round that will determine what spaces they can go to. Players also have two element dice at their disposal that can be placed on the cards and will provide the resources shown as well as provide unique abilities. Fire elements can be placed over opponent's dice, reducing their control of a forest. Water allows players to collect an extra two of any ingredient shown on the space, and wind will allow a player to remove one of their own previously placed dice, giving them extra actions within that round. There is also a village board that has five locations on it that players can place dice onto. Each of the element dice have one specific location on the village board that provides some unique powers when a die is placed there. And the village board flips each round, so the action spaces change from one round to the next. There's two spaces on each of the villages that allow players to place any die that they want to, and any number of dice can go there, so a player can never be completely blocked from being able to place a die, no matter what they roll. Now, the ingredients that players collect are used to brew potions, with each potion having a unique requirement of ingredients in order to uh, brew it. There are four potions available for players at any given time, and once a player has brewed a potion, a new one is revealed. Players can then use their potions to provide a one-time ability later in the game, but a player can only use, at most, one potion each turn. Every potion also provides victory points at the end of the game, whether they've been used or not. Now, animal companions all provide unique ongoing abilities to players once they have acquired them, but players can only have up to three of these companions at a time, and if they acquire a new one, they need to release one of their previously recruited ones. Once players have placed all of their dice in a round, the forest cards are each scored. Whoever has the majority of their forage dice on each card will collect it and add it to their player area, allowing them to score victory points at the end of the game. In the case of a tie, no one wins the card, so these will be hotly contested during each round. Additionally, if a player ever has to release one of their animal companions during the game, above their limit of three, if they have a forest card that matches the animal's season on it, they'll be able to score extra victory points at the end. Now, each forest can only store one animal, so it's very important for players to watch what animals they are collecting, as well as which forests that they try to control. Now, it's not a huge amount of extra points at the end, but it could be the difference between winning and losing the game. At the end of four rounds, players will score points for their forests, their potions, and the animals that they've collected throughout the game. Extra ingredients will also be turned in for a few points as well. And whoever has earned the most points, of course, will win the game, with unused ingredients used to break ties. Now, brew can play pretty quick once players get into a rhythm, but your first few rounds are going to be slow going. Players can also only brew and or drink at most one potion each round, so they must plan carefully how best to use each potion that they collect within the game. 
Some of the abilities are very powerful and can be game-changing if used correctly. There's also a lot of ways for players to hurt others' plans within this game, which I didn't really expect at first glance. There's ways to scorch four spaces which prevent dice from being placed on those locations, so players can use that ability to block others from controlling key forest cards. There's also an ability for a lot of take that within the game, which I didn't expect when I initially opened the box as the artwork is super cute with all of the creatures having a Pokemon style to them. Uh, once one person starts throwing fire dice on top of your own, you're going to do everything in your power to make sure that they're unable to collect that one juicy forest card that they have their eyes on. Now, there is plenty of opportunities for clever plays within the game, and since you're only able to brew one potion and drink one potion on a turn, careful planning will be key to success within the game. Comboing the abilities of your creatures to get what you need is a great feeling, but the game doesn't overstay its welcome as it clicks along at a fast pace. The two-player game is a wonderful head-to-head -head experience, with a quick back-and-forth play, uh, but in the four-player game, the board state can change dramatically between your turns, so a little bit more long-term planning may be required. Overall, though, Brew is a very fun experience from Pandasaurus, and it's a game that there seems to be a lot of potential for future expansions to really expand on what's included in this box. There's a couple of variants available for some asymmetrical player powers, as well as a promo pack for four unique companion creatures that players can recruit at the start of the game, giving them some more unique abilities. There's also an amazing amount of game um, for this price tag. You can find Brew Online for less than $30 Canadian, which I think is an incredible value for everything that this game provides. It's definitely one of the best bangs for your buck that I've seen out there in recent purchases. So once again, I am Chris Morris, and thank you for listening for my thoughts on Brew. If you liked what you heard from me and want to see or hear more, I can be found on Twitter as SpiderMo. Thanks again for listening, and may all your dice rolls be critical successes. Hello everybody, it's Rob and Anamarie from the Meeple Dungeon. Hello! And we are back again recording for the What You've Been Playing Wednesdays podcast. This week we are going to talk about one, uh, one game. What game is that, Anamarie? That game is Hive. Designed by John Yiani and published by Smart Zone. Yes, Hive. This is a game we've had for quite a while. We got it, uh, I think it was a Christmas present or birthday present from Kurt. It was, yep. A f uh, when it, roughly after it came out, so yeah. way back in the day. Uh, or maybe not 2012, I think it came out in 2012, but I think we've had it for like five or six years anyway. At least. Yeah. We've so, had it for no, quite a while, is a, yeah. This is a great game. Um, it's a... An abstract. <laughs> I guess five or six would be almost when it came out, but anyways. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. I think I this came the... out in like 2012. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was looking then at the 2014 like and it. <laughs> close. And... But yes, we've had it for quite a while. And we, we don't get to play it all that often. No. But it is a really cool abstract game um, using these kind of hex tiles. And each one of them has an insect on it. And really whole... nice, heavy. Yeah, big, uh, thick. Listen to the sound oh. they make. <laughs> yes. Really... Heavy, yeah, they're nice. Yeah, and not the, like heavy, gonna hurt yourself, but just like no, no, they're nice, they're solid components great, is what I'm getting at. <laughs> great quality components, absolutely. And they, uh, the whole point of the game is you have uh, a little army of insects. You have a queen bee. You have a couple spiders. You have three ants. You have three grasshoppers and two giant beetles. 
and you are each each team has the exact same uh, yeah. set of insects. And what you're trying to do is to surround your opponent's queen bee, whether it's partly yours and partly theirs, or all of yours or all of theirs. As long as it's surrounded, you win the game if you can surround their queen bee. And on your turn, you're going to put out... If it was all of theirs that surrounded it, that would be I very unfortunate Honestly, for them. I almost forgot the rule, <laughs> and I almost did it myself. So it can happen. Uh, but um, you, on your turn, you're going to play out... Uh, in your first four turns, you're basically going to be playing out tiles. And you got to connect them to your own color. So we'll start off with one tile for me, one tile for you. Yep. And then i got to connect a new tile to my my tiles because there's black ones and there's white ones and i got to connect them out there so we're going to end up kind of with four tiles each out there including on one of those first four has to be your queen bee and then you can start moving uh your tiles around and each insect has its own uh kind of power yeah of which their the queen bee herself can just move one spot around the hive Yes. On your turn, you can just move one spot, left, right, up, down, whatever it is, and you got to just kind of roll it around the edge of the edge of the hive. Then there's the big giant beetles; they can only move one spot, but they can, but um, they can jump, jump on top, up on top, and basically sit on another yeah. insect, making it unable to be moved, and also change to your color. So the only color, the whatever's on top, is the color that that uh, section is going to be. Yeah. So you could uh, jump on top of a an enemy yes. bug and then you could use and that as one of your spawn points for a, yeah. new, a new insect and it doesn't matter like when you're um whenever you lay out a tile it can only be touching your color yeah. but when you're moving yep. fair game anything is move anywhere you know anything. you can yep. but just following up the anywhere. rules yeah because then the grasshopper can uh it doesn't move in and around the edge of the of the hive, it actually has to Hops. jump. It has to jump in a straight line from one spot to the next open spot. So it's pretty cool. It can hop yes. right across the board. That's pretty neat. The worker ant, it can move anywhere, uh, as many <laughs> movements as you want, all the way yeah, all around <laughs> the edge of the uh, hive. of the hive uh, to any open area. And then the spider can move up to three, but and it has to move always three. Yeah, and it, you can't double back. You can't move like one forward, one back, one yeah. forward. Or no more, just no less three. than three in one direction. Yeah, and this game is really, really tough and really cool. It's very simple, but oh, it's oh, yeah. such a chess match. It's it's really, really well thought out. And there's expansions for this, where I believe there's a mosquito and a <laughs> ladybug and something else. We don't have that, but this is just good that enough mosquito, on mosquito, I wonder with, what that movement would be. It's probably the most irritating placement. <laughs> I don't know. I'm <sighs> not sure. Stinking mosquito. But this, this game is great. I oh, rarely yeah, win very it. good. <laughs> I rarely <laughs> win it, but I did win our last game of it, which I'm pretty happy about. Um, but no, it's really good. If you like abstract games, this is a really, really good one. It's, um, it is chess. Like, it's a chess match. It's back and forth, and you're trying to outwit your opponent and trying to move into strategic areas to make that last kind of movement Ditch out effort, of nowhere yeah. where they didn't, know, they didn't notice that your grasshopper was lined up to hop over and hop into that one empty spot. That's kind of what you're trying to do in this game is trying yeah. to outwit them um, and try and hide a piece somewhere that they're not thinking about that could move right into a spot that they're not well, thinking about. And also one thing you can't do is you can't break the hive. So right. if yes. you've got a big long line and you're like, oh, I want to move that my ant around, like I can't because my ant is one piece connecting the hive, yeah. so I can't break it or I lose. Exactly. So you can have some pretty important... Oh 
pieces stuck. Yeah, like in, in our spot in our last just, game, I kind of just I, I couldn't move. Anyway, yeah, I, I agree. There was a couple of my points. Oh, like, oh, I could really use that ant right now, but he's stuck in his spot because if I move, it breaks the hive into two yeah. parts, and you can't do that. I had to wait and see what you were going to do because I was like, well, depending on what he does, I have like nowhere to move. Yeah. So no. it makes it very. I would have had to move my beetle. That was the only thing that I could have moved. Yeah, the beetle is really, but, really good. I, I used him pretty well. I stopped you from winning using him yes, a lot because I was I took away your spawn points by. Yeah. Uh, putting it up on top of one of yours so you could no longer uh, uh, place out a new tile into one of those areas. But, yeah, no, this game is great. It's um, it's simple, but super thinky and very tactical. Yes. And strategic. And yep. I find it the, the way I've won is just trying to keep keep that piece back that the opponent's not thinking about. That is going to... You're trying to keep it as like this last ditch move to to win the whole thing right <laughs> yeah like where you're just trying to be like well i haven't moved that grasshopper in like nine rounds right and they've, they've kind yeah. of forgotten about it but i've lined it up to hopefully be the last piece of the puzzle to hop in that we're unassuming right right it's just really really cool that yeah. way now this game is fun it's very thinky yeah um, no we really really enjoy without, it we don't get to play it often yeah. but uh without breaking your brain yeah no nice. no it's not bad it because takes it about 15 take minutes at yeah. best to to uh to play it out yeah. so yeah no we uh, we really like Hive, and uh, that's it for now. So we got to run. We will see you next week. Cheers. See ya. Hi, this is Andrew Buckles of BoardingGame.com, and I'm here to talk about what I've been playing this week. This week, I'm going to talk about Viticulture. Viticulture is originally a 2013 release designed by Jamie Stegmeier and Alan Stone. The original version's art is from Beth Sobel, Jackie Davis, and David Montgomery. The game is published by Stonemeyer Games. Now I mentioned originally because Viticulture has had quite the publication history over the years. In 2014, they came out with the Tuscany expansion, Tuscany Expand the World of Viticulture. But if you're coming to this game later on, there's a good chance you're more familiar with the 2015 Viticulture Essential Edition, which incorporated some of the material that was in the first Tuscany expansion, and then which was followed by 2016's Tuscany Essential Edition, which incorporated some of the remaining parts of the Tuscany expansion that weren't covered in the additions to the Viticulture Essential Edition. It's also notable that there are several digital implementations of Viticulture. There is an app by Digidiced, which is available for Steam, iOS, and Android. There's also the game available on Board Game Arena for those who prefer the sort of 2D interface, and on Tabletopia for those who prefer a 3D interface that doesn't come with rules enforcement. In terms of all those different versions, I think that all the versions of this game are pretty solid, but a good way to check it out is with the Tabletopia version, which is completely free to play, or with the Board Game Arena version, which is free if you have a premium membership or if somebody else that you know has a premium membership and sets up a game for you. The Steam slash app version is also a good, relatively low-cost way to check it out, and it does provide some good AI competition, especially if you crank the AIs up to the hardest difficulty setting.
and as for the differences between the physical print editions, I'll cover those more at the end of this discussion. So in Viticulture, it's a worker placement game where you're each working to make wine. What's interesting about this is that your actions take place on a season board, and certain actions are only available in the summer, and other actions are only available in the winter. If you're playing with either the original Tuscany expansion or the Tuscany Essential Edition expansion, there are now action spaces available in the spring and in the fall as well, but in the base game you only have actions in the summer and in the winter. Your summer actions are generally about planting in vines into your vineyard and also playing summer visitors who often have an effect on planting vines and building structures that let you plant better vines or keep better wines in your cellar or do other things such as gain victory points when you give tours to gain money or when you plant new vines. In the winter, some of the actions that you can take include drawing wine orders, which tell you what kinds of wines you need to fulfill a certain order, harvesting your fields and putting grapes on your personal player board, making wine to turn those grapes into different wines, and then fulfilling orders if you have the correct quantities and values of wine. There are also spots to play winter visitors who generally help you with the winter actions. And in the winter, you can also train more workers who then become available in the following year and give you more actions that you can take every year. Something that's interesting about Viticulture, I think, is that it does incentivize getting more workers the way that many worker placement games do, but it isn't the only strategy and it isn't the only thing to do first. A big part of that is because at the end of each year, your grapes and your wines age, they improve in value. And so it can be also be quite valuable to start off by building up good fields and harvesting them quickly, rather than just going for all the potential workers. Fulfilling orders as early as possible is also often quite helpful as they give you residual income. So you make a certain amount of money every year after you fulfill an order or multiple orders, which we set up further. Another element that's interesting about viticulture is that the amount of spaces on each action change quite dramatically depending on the player count. The game plays from two to six people, but with only two people, there's only one spot available for each action. With three to four, there are two, and with five to six, there are three. In games of three or more players, there's also a bonus spot for the first person to an action, which can be quite powerful. I would say the game generally scales pretty well, but you will be waiting quite a while for your turn at five or six players, especially if you have people who like to think about what they're doing a lot. And at two players, there aren't those bonus spots available, so it does feel like it's harder to get some things done. So I, I think three to four is really the optimum player count for this, but it can work well at two or at five or six, as long as you have the right group for that. And on those original print editions, I do think that either the basic viticulture with the original Tuscany, which is what I have, is great, or the Viticulture Essential Edition is a good starting spot that brings in some of the things from Tuscany. Overall, I think Viticulture is an excellent worker placement game. I think it executes on the theme quite well. I also think it's great that there are solid digital implementations of Viticulture, both on Board Game Arena and Tabletopia for playing against other people, 
or on the app, particularly for playing against AIs. I'm Andrew Buckholtz, and for more on what I've been playing, you can follow me on Twitter at Andrew Buckholtz, B-U-C-H-O-L-T-Z, and you can find my board game writing at BoardingGame.com. Thanks for listening. G'day, this is Daniel. And this is Mark Yuasa. And we're the Omni Gamers Club podcast, a sort of book club style podcast, I guess you'd call it, uh, where we talk about one game each week. That is usually video games and board games, but we'll try and keep ourselves restrained here, right? Yeah, we played um, Beyond the Sun actually as a surprise recently because of a bit of a technical snafu on one of our streams. So last minute we switched to Beyond the Sun which was one of the board games we covered in our third episode. So we're not going to go into huge depth, but uh, the one thing I will say about that, uh, I really enjoyed it playing it at two players. It felt a little bit tighter. Uh, it says the guy who who finally won a game. <laughs> that instantly you know, increases the rating about 30%. <laughs> what else have you been playing this last week? Pretty much playing my regular stuff on Board Game Arena. I'm playing Eminent Domain, Lost Ruins of Arnak, but the newer game to me is Concordia. I just heard the hype from places like Shut Up and Sit Down and never had an opportunity to play it. Uh, a week or two ago, our good friend Matt taught it to me. We played it on Tabletop Simulator, although it is on other platforms like Voitageur even. And most recently, I just bought the app, which is really slick, really well produced. I would say that it's a very smooth experience except it's a little overwhelming for a beginner. The iconography is just a bit too much. And I've already sent some feedback to the developers about that. The placing housing costs, I'd recommended hide those icons until you hover over the city at least. That would actually just let me do some broader strategizing rather than being bombarded with these icons. But otherwise, yeah, really enjoying that app. Excellent. Yeah, I've played the physical game a couple of times years ago and didn't get on with it that well. But hearing so much hype from Shut Up and Sit Down, etc., I really do think I need to give that game a revisit with with fresh eyes. And as you say, if it's if it's not super beginner friendly, maybe it really takes a couple of times to to shine and show its nuance there. And I've heard that that new sort of dedicated app is is a great implementation. So I might I might just pick that up sometime. If you get it on Steam, we can play uh, against each other. <laughs> Excellent. Let's put it on the do list. As far as what I've been playing this last week, I had a neighbor come around. We played a couple of two-player games, uh, primarily Imperium Classics, a new, relatively new deck builder from David Turchi and Nigel Buckle, I think it is. And it's a deck building game and relatively heavy uh as far as some of the other ones that have come out recently that all tend to be pretty light there's been a lot of a lot of good sort of lighter deck building games but not many on that heavier end of the spectrum that i that i really enjoy and this definitely adds some new spins to it i mean you have eight unique factions in the box and there's a, a second box imperium legends it has a whole other eight different factions and so they're each representative of a, of a historical culture and you start off with a game with a deck of some common cards but some unique cards 
but you're also adding unique cards over the course of the game. And the unique spin on this is that basically every time you cycle your deck, you run, you run through your deck and you shuffle your discard back in, every time you do that, you're adding another one of your unique nation cards to the deck. And there's a little bit of randomness at the beginning and then towards the end of the game, you start to be able to choose which ones you're putting in. But there really is a, a push and pull going on here where you're adding new and exciting cards to your deck but then you're wanting to keep that deck as small as possible to be able to add more cards so there's a yeah like a constant push and pull trying to to balance the size of your deck and there's a couple of really clever methods to both take cards out of your deck permanently but also to store them temporarily into some cards just to sort of shuffle them aside until maybe later in the game when you're doing they might be more useful so it's a okay, fascinating game i've only played each faction once or i mean i've played a couple of factions once a piece and there is a great discoverability in in finding how that faction is unique both the cards you start with and you don't even know what are being added into the deck as you as that game progresses so it's going to be a completely different game going back knowing that faction and i'm curious how much replayability there will be but at the moment i'm just having a lot of fun discovering each of those factions I enjoyed that game when uh, you and I played it a couple of times digitally. I think that game really kind of sings when you you probably know the factions really well. You know, it's ins and outs, and it's just a matter of executing on a strategy. All the factions are really intriguing and play differently from each other. So, yeah, I think it's a big thumbs up for that one for me. Yeah, I'm curious how much replayability there is in those factions, as I said, because whether it's just finding the one strategy that works and executing that or if there really is much variance in how you approach it so yeah i really want to dive down in some time and, and test that out and there is a demo version i believe on tabletop simulator where we played it it's only four of the factions but definitely enough to to get a feel of it i think for a card game it's okay if it doesn't have all the variability right you think of a game like Keyforge, where the decks are fixed. You can have four or five decks playing with your your buddy who know them inside and out. Just randomize who gets what deck and challenge each other. It's all about execution. You know, I, I think that's an excellent type of gameplay experience. Absolutely. And speaking of which, I think we need to get some Keyforge to the table soon. <laughs> So you can listen to our podcast at omnigamers.club. We've got a new podcast dropping on Architects of the West Kingdom. So check that out. So thanks for having us on the podcast. I've been Mark Uessa. And this is Daniel Winter. Thanks for listening. I'm Shay. And I'm David. And we are bored on the air, and this is What Have You Been Playing? What hey, you, been you playing? did it right. Yeah, 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 yeah. I thought I'd do that just for you. Uh, this is What You've Been Playing, a weekly podcast featuring a bunch of Canadian board game content creators. Yep. Let's go with that. Let's go with that. And we are going to be discussing one of the tea games today. Now, I will probably butcher this name, but Tawa Tinsu. Sue you. So you? Uh, yeah. yeah. The Incan Empire. I'll the help you Inca, with the second Inca, part. Inca Empire. Uh, that was me. <laughs> uh, so yeah, this is the newest of the tea games, correct? Yep. And uh, maybe not? Yes. Yes. There, there's a newer one coming. I believe it's releasing at Essen this week. Right. But this is the newest one that we could get to the table. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so we played this the other day. We did it late at night. Uh, 
And it was great. It was a fantastic game. Yeah, it's. I really enjoyed this one. It's it's a little bit, I would say, different than most of the other ones. See, I haven't played most of the other ones. Like, I've played maybe two, maybe. Yeah. But yeah. I don't remember them very well. Um, so this is the first one that I can really remember. Uh, I did enjoy how the turn play goes. So the way this game works is you have your cards, and you kind of start off with some resources and stuff, and then... Using the cards and the workers that you have, you place them out to get more resources or take tasks so you can, you know, build, build buildings, build tapestries, uh, again, get more resources, things like that to just help you move up on the score track. Yeah, the, the board is set up as a pentagon and it's a fairly big board. It's a six fold board uh, and there's different tiers to the place. Uh, it's... It's Inca, so it's a, uh, I forget the, uh, uh, who is it? It's, I think it's the in sun god you're worshipping. And there's a top tier and then two tiers below it. And, and there's a penalty for moving away from your worshipper, your, mm -hmm. your, your high uh, priest. Your high priest. Yeah. Uh, there's a cost, in, and you pay that in food, which is potato or corn. Yep. Uh, and then there's resources like uh, stone and gold. And, uh, yeah, you're, you're building out these tapestries in front of you and you're trying to get all different types of tapestries. You're, uh, playing you buildings to get like bonuses and stuff yeah. like that. Instant bonuses or ones that you get kind of all along. And with the God cards that you have, you need to have like, there's a symbol where you can place your workers and there's a symbol on top of the card. You have to have one of those cards with that symbol to be able to place your worker down. And when you do that, depending on the worker and who you're around, and if you pay anything, you can get, you have like one or more tasks that you yeah, can do. Yeah, you're guaranteed one task on a turn when you're, when you're putting your worker out. Uh, and if you're beside a worker of the same color, you get a second one. And depending on uh, what color worker, they have special abilities as well. Uh, I think the most somebody got was up to about four turns off one uh, yeah jordan thing. had a really yeah. big one uh but for the most part i i think i only had up to maybe two or three yeah i did two or three yeah I think, as well and because then, if you had just the right amount of people nearby right yeah and if you don't place a worker you can do one or two of five secondary actions yeah. and that's move your high priestess which gives you an ability in the middle uh you can take some god cards you can take some military cards you can recruit a worker or uh, I think you can sell, is it sell a statue or whatever is one of the other ones? Or do you say that already? I didn't say sell a statue. Yeah, that's one of them. Because okay. there's statues you can buy that yeah. uh, will give you bonuses and also lots of victory points when you buy them. And then you can sell those to move up on the god track. Uh, I think that's what they call it. Yeah, the worship track. The worship track to basically get, again, more points. Yeah, this this is a fairly uh, high, high middle weight game. Uh, lots going on. It's a little fiddly on your turns and, you know, you're, there's a little bit that you have to keep track of. Yeah. I'd say at certain points there can be a bit too much downtime, right? Yep. Because if somebody gets a lot of turns, you can be there for a while. The nice thing is, is with, uh, especially the, uh, high priest actions in the center, those, everybody else gets an action as well. Yeah. You get to follow but the person yeah. who did it gets the best action. Yeah. So there is something that allow, that other people can do, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I'm looking forward to trying it again because I, I 
don't think we played it as well as we could have. I don't know about you. I won. Yeah, you so. cru- you pretty much crushed everybody. Uh, although Jordan got a lot of end game scoring. Yeah, he had Jordan a lot and Mom had a lot of end game scoring and came back, and I went from second to last. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I really really enjoyed this. Yeah, one. it was fantastic. Uh, looking forward to more of uh, the David Turksy uh, teaser stuff. Yeah. Okay, I'm David. And I'm Shay. And we will talk to you next week. Have a good night. Hey there, this is Norm from the Cardboard Conjecture Podcast and Bridge City Board Gamers here in Saskatoon. And uh, as always, gonna take a little tour on our Facebook uh, um, uh, Facebook community and uh, on the What You Been Playing Wednesday thread because um, that always reminds me of all the games that I need to get played. So let's get going. Jonathan picked up Viscounts of the West Kingdom from Dragon's Den on the weekend with the gift card that I won from Cardboard Conjecture. Thanks again. Oh, well, you're welcome. That's awesome. Thank you for participating. Uh, he continues to say that he's soloed it three times and he's really, enjoy, really enjoying it. Uh, Paladins is a top 10 game for him, and I think it might uh, let's, uh, might like this more. Wow, cool. Also played two games of Arboretum. That game I love. Arboretum is a fantastic card game. Uh, not to say that um, uh, Paladins is awesome. I haven't played Viscounts, though, so yay. I'm glad somebody... Uh, Glad somebody uh, is having fun with the gift card. And thank you to Dragon's Den as well for uh, for contributing that to our contest. So, uh, Ryan is not able to participate this week because life got busy. Uh, with uh, As was mentioned in our uh, Cardboard Conjecture podcast, that uh, uh, COVID entered his household. So, he had to uh, take care of the household. So, he was very busy. But, as he says, he still managed to play some Marvel Champions. Tried the Nebula Hero Pack with some scenarios, and she's a lot of fun to play. Cool. Yeah, he's got a pretty wide collection of that Marvel Champions. Moving on to Eli. Only played, only play this week was Camp Grizzly in honor of October Horror Month. Nice. I've never played that. Dylan, we've been playing Root just about every day for like two months. Never done with this game uh, before. We just became obsessed. Yeah, that kind of sounds... You know, we can't, yeah, that's obsessed. Okay, Ash. Clank Legacies. Again with Jason. Only a couple plays left. Oh, dang, I want to play that game. Got to finish that game. Ryan, we got to finish that game. Okay, moving on. Lane. In our... Two-year journey to complete Machi Koro uh, Legacy. Uh, game six and seven was checked off. Everdale and uh, Mythalix. So yeah, that's good. I think, I don't know. Is that Did you complete the Machi Koro Legacy at uh, game six and seven? But well done if you did. Hands, Project L, Great Plains, Paladins of the West Kingdom, Grand Austria Hotel, I'm not done the list yet. Agizia, Last Will, Mountain Goats, Terraforming Mars, 
I had to get four solos in uh, last night to make sure I got some plays of it in <laughs> this last week. Yep. Yep. There is some uh, obsession. No, I'm just go. That's a fun game. I like it. Man, did you get a lot of games played? Yeah, Paladins. Grand Austria Hotel. I played that at um, Falcon. Ryan taught it to me, and man, that that's such a fun game. It's a very fun game. Okay, uh, moving on. Tim played uh, one game of Azul. That is a fantastic little abstract puzzle game. Garth, my family sunk me when we played Underwater Cities plus Discoveries. Fun brain burner. Then some Between Two Cities, High Frontier 4. Uh, lastly, some light solo fun with Railroad Inc. Wow. I love me some underwater cities. You know what? Don't want to offend anybody on this list, but I prefer this underwater cities over terraforming Mars. I know you can keep saying it. Sean, let's break the tension by saying Spirit Island and Marvel Crisis Protocol. Spirit Island is the most brilliant solo game that I played in a long time. John played some Onk. Yes, Ryan uh, told me he played some two-player Ankh, and it was uh, it, it stood up, stood up fantastic. So that's a very interesting game. Jeff, Agizia, Last Will, and some Concordia digital version. I heard that Concordia is on digital. Yeah, <laughs> that's a that's a easy click for me. Uh, Marianne has a lineup: The Bloody Inn, The Witches of the Revolution. Uh, bring out, bring out your dead and uh, masquerade of red death. I wonder if there's a theme going on here. This is October. It's her. It's her October lineup. It's very scary. So speak. Sp not speaking of scary, but uh, speaking of, uh, we are approaching that wonderful uh, hour of awesome content from the the fantastic content creators that contribute every week to make this such a fun episode to listen to, to put together. And thank you so much for listening. And that being said, keep your stick on the ace and take care out there, eh? <laughs>